Alan McGuire, welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. How the heck are you? I am great. Thanks, Paul. Thanks a million for having having me and ESI on. Uh, it's wonderful to join. It's wonderful that you join me. What what part of the world uh, are you in right now? We are uh, from and based in Dublin, in Ireland. I'm delighted to say my hometown. So uh, so that is where we are this this afternoon, your morning. Oh, fantastic! So from Columbus, Ohio, to to Dublin, Ireland. We're bringing this to you on a worldwide on a worldwide web over uh, over thousands of miles, and we get to talk sales. So I'm pretty pumped about this. You have a great background and mission uh, in sales, and I was wondering if you could outline some of that for for the audience today. Yeah, for sure, Paul. So so um, I, I think probably fun- fundamentally, myself and, and my co-founder Johnny and, and several of our colleagues' background is actually in learning technology. So we're we're passionate about education and digital education in particular. Um, our, our, our kind of passion for sales comes from, from exploring a, a, a worldwide issue around, around a shortage of sales talent globally. Um, and, and our diagnosis of that problem was really anchored in the evolution of sales skills uh, from, from what we believe is from a quite rudimentary perspective into something kind of highly sophisticated and complex and yet the world doesn't necessarily recognize sales as a highly skilled profession. And, and we got really interested in that link between the evolution of skills and a shortage of talent. Um, and it very much resonated with my own experience, you know, go, going back, unfortunately, too many years and too many decades when I started out in sales, how um, the, the role and the function was perceived in business. Um, so we married all that together. We, we, we saw this kind of skills and talent shortage in, in a, in a, in a domain that we don't believe is necessarily perceived as being professional yet. Um, and we felt that digital learning and digital technologies were the optimum way to develop those skills. And with the icing on the cake being the opportunity to provide a proper university grade credential in professional selling, um, which we believe the world has been lacking uh, forever. And, and, and every other business discipline has that credentialing and certification option. Why, why not sales? Um, and, and ESI was born out of that. Let me ask you about that that uh, that gap because I, it's fascinating. It sales is the the tip of the spear. Every CEO knows that generally, right? That sales is the tip of the spear and how people perceive a lot of their brand when it's a personal thing. Yet they this uh, again the lack of professionalization in a in a rapidly evolving, extremely contact, uh, extremely uh, complex ecosystem is is uh is a miss right so that that's the market opportunity that you're looking at right yeah we so so, so it's really interesting paul we we um i i i, I dabbled with this at a on, on a, a webinar last year actually and, and we now use it as a kind of an icebreaker for a lot of the group and thought leadership sessions we do but i i had a webinar last year with an audience of of business directors corporate directors and you're talking, therefore, about board level executives. These are the these are the, these are executives at, at the top of the tree of the organization. And, and the icebreaker we use is to ask them how important they rate sales as a function in their business. And um, we kind of say, look, rate it on a scale of one to five, and 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 the answers come through in the chat, and it's kind of you know five, five, ten. And so the overriding message is that these most senior executives sitting around boardroom tables of organizations all over the world and of all shapes and sizes rate sales as one could argue the most important function in the business. But the follow-on question of these highly skilled professionals is how many of you wanted to be a salesperson? And the answer is none. You know, pretty much you kind of get a kind of a, a tumbleweed silence across the webinar. 
and it is a it's a pattern that 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 is consistently uh, kind of mirrored worldwide. Whoever we talk to, which is you've got business leaders all over the world who kind of hold sales up as being the most important function of the business, and yet none of them pursued sales as a profession. And and for us, it's a bit analogous with kind of saying, well, the quarterback is the most important person on the team, but I don't want to be the quarterback. I'll do everything else, but somebody else can do that kind of really important job. Um, and that, for me, kind of underlines this kind of, unfortunately, still lagging perception of sales as being something somebody else can do. It, it, it's, it's either easy or our product will sell itself or, you know, it's it's not skilled enough for me to get my hands dirty doing it. Somebody else can do it. And I think that's mirrored in how the sales function is treated in organizations at lots of different levels versus other functions in the organization. So so we think there's a a fundamental there that's rooted in decades of of typecasting in, in lots of different ways. But but our our research and, and the reason we set up BSI is because we know employers now at a quite scientific level are codifying a different skill set for salespeople today, a higher order cognitive skill set. Um that is kind of implicitly recognizing how skilled sales is as, as, as a role today. Um, they might be lagging in how they treat the function um, a, 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 as a profession, but that for us is the opportunity here is, 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 is to begin to call out the fact that this is, this is now a highly skilled professional grade, university grade function, and um, not the job that you end up doing when you can't do anything else. Yeah. I, Two thoughts. One, like I, I've been fortunate enough for working with uh, Idaho State University, and then we're also University of uh, uh, South Florida, and some others that are, are really they're starting to push a bit. And I know there there are some sales programs in the U.S., but I was also talking to a gentleman uh, on another podcast uh, earlier that went by the name of Frank Suspides. He's worked. Um, he's been a professor at Harvard for a long time. His, his comment was, was fascinating. He said the secret of fortune, it's fortune 100 across uh, down through the fortune kind of 2000 is that the boardrooms boardrooms have evolved uh, to be boardrooms and C-level suites have evolved to have, everybody has a upper level degree. It's more like a a professor, like, like a consulting, they're more consultants that are, that work together, that they have high professional level degrees. And, and those are the type of people that have risen to see, see, uh, EOs recently. And there, because there has been no high level degree in sales, right. There's been no way to say, oh yeah, I, I get that recognized and I could come out of Harvard and make a hundred thousand dollars a year and work my way up to the C-suite that sales has been, it's been neglected from that area, even though the complexity of it has has increased exponentially over the course of the last twenty years. Yeah, that would be our experience too, and and, and I think I think it's 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 rooted in in, in a an issue of perception. I, I mean, one thing to be fair, I, I'd like to argue that that sales has always been a highly skilled function, but there's no doubt at all that the emergence of technology in in in, in the last. I suppose we could probably say 15 years, maybe really only 10, I think has had a twofold effect on, on the evolution of, of, of kind of, of skills requirements for the sales profession. Um, on, on the one, I, I think this is what happened in, in the last 10, 15 years. It was really interesting. I think there was a perception. I, I don't know if you remember, Paul, but there were myriad blog posts and commentary pieces back in that. And I'm going back to kind of the late noughties, kind of early, early teens, early 2010s. Um, 
you know, I'll never hire another salesperson. Salespeople are redundant, you know, kind of the motif being I've all this technology in place now that I can just sit back and the orders will tumble in. Um, and I think that did two things. I mean, one, it was fundamentally wrong. I'll come back to that point. But two, it 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 actually it 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 um it put a hold on the commitment organizations were making to developing their salespeople because they felt, well, that's a function that's gonna that's gonna kind of gradually drift off into the distance anyway. However, what really happened was that that uh, that avalanche of technology, and and there's a whole other topic there um, that I know you're very passionate about, but that avalanche of technology actually put a premium on the skills of the salesperson today. That, that there, there's that there's all this kind of um kind of kind of thesis out there that actually buyers come to the table better informed and don't need access to salespeople. Actually, it's the exact opposite. Yes, they're coming to the table better informed about the the product information they need to have. All that means is they actually are demanding a better experience with their salesperson than they were before. It, it is no longer a binary information exchange. It's far more of a highly skilled collaboration where you have to navigate a buyer on the journey they're going through to pick the right solution for them. So technology kind of not only did it kind of put a dramatic pause on, on, on skills development and development of salespeople, um, but it actually put a premium on the skill set required. You need to be more skilled in this sales and marketing technology heavy world than you did 15 years ago. And and so so I think that's that's where this this fabulous opportunity lands to 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 elevate and and inflate this role into into a in, into the profession that it really deserves to be recognized as. And with a bit of luck, that I that I think will feed into if we get the credentialing and the certification bit right, um that will feed into into kind of promotions to the boardroom and, and we will have more and more, you know, sales or let's call it commercial to, to use a more general term, more suitably commercially skilled and credentialed individuals will be beginning to lead boardroom conversations, which which is what they should be doing anyway. Well, it is it is fascinating because it's uh, many organizations talk about a revenue driven culture, or a sales driven culture, or uh, you know customer focused, uh, customer journey focused culture. Um, but that that ends up getting led back to our point from from other other areas of the organization and not the the CEO, right? Where the CEO can having not grown up in that that part of the business, a lot of times it's not given the importance, uh, the, the similar importance. So, so how are you going about, how are you using then your, your background, um, your background in e-learning, your background in learning development? How is that, how are you using that then to, to drive this impact into, into this needed niche uh, of sales? What, what's CSI doing? Yeah, so so we're um what's really interesting for us is again when you think about paradoxes in our universe, in our learning tech universe, one of the things that that uh that outsiders believe about e-learning and, and and they get they get lost in terms of what digital learning is all about, but one of the big para- paradoxes over the years has been a perception that um that digital learning is not good at developing software skills. And and ESI is very much around software, you know, in uh, transversal to use a, to coin a phrase. I mean, if you want to get very nerdathon about it, higher order cognitive skills. They're the skills that ESI is focused on developing because we know they are the skills that employers want in their commercial resources today. That's that's the good news and that they can't mm-hmm. find. So there's a perception out there that digital learning um, can't okay, do that. Alan, can, I, can I ask you a clarification question on that? Sure. 
I think I understand exactly what you're talking about, but I'm yeah. not sure. So can you dive in? What are the skills you're talking about? Yeah, so we think we think about the kind of sales skills world, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll really oversimplify it. It's a little bit more complex than this. But when we analyzed and, and we analyzed job specs and competency maps and kind of talked to anybody who would talk to us when we were coming up with the idea for ESI, remember anchoring the discussion in a shortage of sales talent, a global shortage of sales talent, which is which is a statement of fact. Sales and commercial roles are the hardest employers have to fill. When we did that analysis, and I'm oversimplifying here, we we found a, a remarkable pattern in, even if you just think about it at a job specification level or a competency map level. And what we found was that, you know, when you look at a typical sales or commercial role, employers, you can effectively divide it into two. Um, you're you're going to have what we call kind of functional skills, um, that the harder skills the salesperson wants to do. And that's going to show up in things like being able to make a cold call, uh, being able to write a proposal, to know your product suite, to understand a sales process, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. Quite procedural. We, we think about those as being functional skills, or if you like, the things that the employer wants the salesperson to do. However, there's typically a second half to the spec or the competency map. And that's where it gets really interesting for us, because when you look at the requirements or the skills requirement for the role, we come across all these in our world, kind of higher order cognitive skills, softer skills. They want their people to have initiative. They want them to be independent. They want them to be creative. They want them to be proactive. They want to be able to develop relationships. They want to be problem solvers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Our, our kind of our skills taxonomy is kind of 27 skills long, which is too long. But but that, believe it or not, is, is as many skills as employers are out there looking for in their salespeople. They're looking for superhumans here. Um, and they were the skills we were really interested in. And, and if, if we if we counterpoint them against the things the employer wants their person to do, these skills are very much about how the employer wants their people to think and behave. And that is a different skill set altogether. It's, 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 it's more sophisticated. Um, People with those skills typically historically haven't gravitated towards skill towards sales as a profession. Um, and it's that nexus of, you know, you can learn what to do as a salesperson in, in lots of other places. ESI doesn't go anywhere near that. We're interested in how you develop, how you think, what your attitude and mindset is, how you show up in the sales profession every single day. And, um, and we built our curriculum around developing those skills. And where it comes perfectly for us as learning technologists is that one of the reasons those skills don't get developed easily elsewhere in traditional sales training is they can't really be developed on a course. They, they can't be developed overnight. They can't be developed between Monday and Thursday in the hotel room, you know, with, with, with most nights in the bar. They can really only be developed over time and on the job. That means that you're developing them repeatedly, but you're applying them on the job in real time, right? Really going out there and, and changing your behavior in real time. And for us as Learning technologists, we feel, well, what better modality to do that in than digital? You know, you have an always-on asynchronous solution. I need to develop these skills over time. I need to do it repeatedly. I need to do it on the job and apply it on the job in real time. Well, actually, not only is digital learning well-suited for that, digital learning is really the only modality to do that in. Um, But you have to get the learning right. And there's a huge amount of, of instructional science and learning science behind our solution that that makes it work in in ways that if you like content doesn't and we get very we get very pedantic and high and mighty and precious about the difference between learning and content and that's a whole other conversation we get off paul but this the esi designed you know to develop those skills over time and on the job it's hard it's really hard it's hard to do digitally you need really sophisticated instructional science to do it and that's what esi does 
Oh, that's fantastic. I, I even think it just like back to the title of the podcast, the art and science of, of complex sales. You've helped me actually dive down into the, the delineation of that. I mean, we, cause I, I, I am a, uh, like the systems, the system side of it, the process side of it, the checklist side of it, the activities that you're going to take and the discipline side of it, you're dead right. That gets taught a ton, right? And it gets taught, uh, well, in the context, a lot of times in the context of that uh, manufacturing manufacturing line, right? Let's This is how sales should work. And these are the things that we must do. And you check this, check this, check this. The, the investment is to be able to uh, to be able to take those and and then leverage those with the skills you're talking about, right? To to leverage that process with an excellence in skills of, you know, listening, empathy, you know, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, um, developing that mindset. What what do you find is uh, in in having done this and having talked to everybody? You listed like. You listed 27 uh, of those things, but what are the real top level um, executives looking for in terms of those, those skills? Is there like three or four that come out that they're just raising their hand, like have to have these in a, in a top level sales executive? It, it, it really does vary. So what we found was, and we did a lot of deduplication and, and curation of, I mean, you can imagine with all the specs we looked at, Paul, we, 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 we kind of had hundreds, but there were a lot of them were synonyms and, you know, one person's creativity is another person's art or whatever it might have been. So, so there were really a lot of synonyms. But I think if you look at it from the buyer perspective and uh, rather than the employer perspective, the the the, the thing the, I'd anchor it around three things that we would have seen and found, and really what our customers tell us because we we get lots of expressions of the problem statement from customers, but we really try and get under that and try and find out well what do you really mean by that? And the recurring theme the whole time we get is is first of all an ability to listen and 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 a true ability to listen to the buyer and and to let the buyer know that you are listening to them it is a remarkably still consistent and i hate to say tired stereotype that salespeople don't listen and they they keep going on they keep going on script they keep going on but i've i've got something i want to do and don't react and whether that's on a call or whether it's through an entire sales process, it's about that ability to, to not only listen, but to make sure the person knows they are being listened to. That would be number one. The number two would be uh, the ability to deal with the C-suite. And, and, and for us, that is anchored around the need for the salesperson at whatever level, whether it be you know, SDR or BDR or top of the funnel or, or whether it be at the, at the sharp end of the sales cycle or, or key account executive or whatever. The ability to show up professionally um, and to be able to engage with a C-suite, I suppose, in a an informed, intelligent, professional, I don't want to say intellectual way, but but in a way that's going that's, that's going to make the 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 senior person who's going to ultimately make the buying decision feel, yeah, I can do business with this person, and I can do business with this business. Um, so uh, that is number two. But the really the, the the absolutely extraordinary thing, Paul, and this is this is just and. We talk a lot about our problems hiding in plain sight, but this kind of blows us away time and time again. When we talk to our customers about what's the real problem that you have, the word they will come back again and again, anchored in the first two points I made, is the word confidence. My people aren't confident. And and, and they, they really struggle to diagnose why that is. 
And out in the wider world, where they all think salespeople are the brash, loudest personalities in the room, and they're these crude, unskilled people who just go in and beat people over the head and get orders out of people who don't want to give it to them. That's the bit that they miss, that in order to navigate this complex journey that you have to take your buyers on today in the 2020s, you have to be pretty confident in your ability to manage CEOs, manage C-suite executives, manage a complex process, collaborate with strangers, now collaborate with them virtually, and navigate them to a point where they're going to deliver an order to you that helps you get your quota. Um, that, take, that requires a lot of confidence, a lot of resilience, um, uh, particularly when you get so much so much kind of negative vibes in, in, in sales process, which we all, we all know. So I, I, I'm probably oversimplifying much more complex conversations, but that would be it. You know, are you listening and are you showing you're listening? Can you deal with the C-suite? But probably the, the biggest skills deficit that our customers identify with us is my people aren't confident enough. Um, and, and thankfully, gratifyingly for us, we're able to say that that's a lot of the feedback we get. I now feel more confident in what I'm doing, which, which, is, which, is, which is great. I just had a, a chat with a guy last night that um, we, we tied. It, it's fascinating that you said that because it, it ties directly into this guy. The gentleman's name is Casey Jaycox. Um, I, it'll be another great podcast on this that people can listen to. But uh, we tied confidence directly to two factors that that person or three factors that uh, and I'm wondering your your feedback on this because uh, just on the same topic, but th- three big factors. Number one is identity, like identity in terms of how they're they're operating and what they're built to do for their company and with their people. Second is humility. You'd be able to say that I don't have all the answers, but the only thing I know is I can figure it out, right? And third, because that figured out is transparency. So the great salesperson has to, to be confident, you have to be able to go to your, your VP of sales and have that Conversation says, I, ha- I have no freaking idea how to help this customer. <laughs> I need you to build into me. Can you help me with that? Right. So it's fascinating that you you brought that that uh, directly. And we had that direct discussion last night, which is, and it's a gap, right? And the, it's absolutely something that the high performers have, but you have to go through that work to be able to then stand in front of a prospect and say, I absolutely recommend this for you 100%. I'll get behind everything. You can't do that unless you're you're confident, driven by those three things that we talked about. But yeah, so, so we couldn't agree more. I, I'm, I'm smiling somewhat because that kind of the, those the, you're, you're getting into collaboration there. You're you're, you're kind of getting into credibility. Um, mm-hmm. the, the and all these these are all part of that skills taxonomy we talked about. The, the, I, I link all that to a, to a couple of really interesting things, Paul. Um, that ability, what what. What's really striking there is that there's a kind of a subtext and a motif in how employers treat their salespeople that is, we're going to tell you what you should know, and you're supposed to know everything. And if you don't know everything, that's a problem, right? But Mm. what's much more interesting for me is the difference in treatment of salespeople in an organization versus other functions in an organization. So what you described there was an environment where do you know what? I'm trying to navigate something here. I'm stuck a little bit. I don't have all the answers, and I need to go to my my boss or my line manager, or perhaps a colleague in a different function. I need to go there with vulnerability and say, I don't know here, can you help me? And in pretty much every other function in the business, not only does that happen organically, but it's encouraged. It's not a problem. You're able to go there. If you're in accounts or if you're in HR and you're struggling with something, you're going to go to a senior colleague or or whatever. 
the salesperson is typically going, and there's too many of these cultures still in existence at risk of getting fired. You know, what do you mean you don't know that? Well, what's that going to do for your quota? You know, are you going to hit? You're going to hit your number this month, and if you don't, you know, you missed it last month. So you have this kind of huge difference between salespeople are under this pressure to be kind of to know everything and just go off and do it and not have that kind of collaborative comfort blanket around them. Um, and yet they have to collaborate with prospects and clients all the time. And they, to deliver their quota, they need to be able to collaborate with colleagues. Um, and they need to have the confidence to be able to be vulnerable in front of colleagues and not feel this pressure to be kind of all, all seeing and all knowing. And that all goes to that kind of sophisticated skill set that you need. You're going to get your quota every month. And this is what employers can sometimes miss. You're going to get your quota every month if you organize the resources available to you in the right way to get your to get your order on time um you're less likely to get your quota every month if you have to operate as an island and you and you know the confidence and the vulnerability to to communicate and collaborate with others and and that's a journey i think employers are going on as much as, as salespeople are going on um and, and and there's a whole other other story i could tell you about how how we see sales cultures play out differently versus other functions in the business it, it is remarkable how how the function is treated differently how people are treated differently as salespeople so that that uh, begs a point on the on your process for getting into with with your training right so are there levels are are you also we have certification just kind of certification for the the salesperson and diving in and and treating that as a function. What about the sales manager and even the the basics of it for the C suite? Yeah, so we have what we have is curriculum designed for that. We haven't necessarily got a learning product because our our sweet spot is with the frontline sales practitioner. But in practice, mm-hmm. when we roll our solution out, Paul, um, we we would we would mandate. I mean, a lot of a lot of our clients actually would would they wouldn't insist, but they would certainly encourage line managers to go to the program to at least, at the very least, understand what their colleagues are going through. Um, but what we would not let happen would be that a line manager wouldn't be made aware of kind of an outline of the journey their colleagues are going to go on and how they can support and, and encourage that journey. Um, I think the big difference, to go back to my, my earlier point, is that our customers will have recognized the skills deficit and are by nature or by definition investing in, in, in that development. So they've got the right culture to start with. Um, so, so, so a, a large part of this is, you know, we definitely have sales leadership curriculum, but there's a smaller audience of sales leaders out there. So that's kind of on our pro- product roadmap down the road. It is by far the next kind of demand item from our clients, but we're still building out the micro credentials for for our sales practitioners. But the um, the 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 key thing for us is 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 addressing is is either identifying the existence or non existence of that developmental culture. Um, mm-hmm. we, we talk at a kind of strategic talent level with customers about the fact that, you know, the root of your problem is in a global sales talent shortage. So so fundamentally, if you recognize the fact that there aren't enough people on the planet who have the skills you're looking for in your commercial people, that's a big aha moment. Because if, you're, if, if that's the real world out there, and it is, uh, if you're operating a kind of hire them and fire them culture, you're really on a, a 360 kind of, you know, no, no ending vicious cycle. Where you're you're going to a limited talent pool to start with, you're almost by definition hiring people who don't have the skills you need them to have because the people who do have the skills aren't out there. You're putting them into a position where they aren't skilled enough to do the job that you want them to do. When they don't get that job done, having identified that they don't have the right skills, you fire them and you go back to the same limited talent pool that you got them from in the first place. That is a no-win sales talent strategy. You're going nowhere with that. 
There's no other function in the business where you go out and expect to hire the perfect professional into, into every single role. So you'd be starting with the fact that I'm going to hire imperfect people with skills gaps. And there's no other function in the business that you would not invest in the skills development where they have gaps. And yet organization after organization after organization chooses to do that with salespeople. They hire people they know have skills gaps and they don't invest in their development. And that's just wrong. And they wouldn't do it for any other function. Why do they persist on doing it for sales? And even worse, why do they persist in doing it for a function where there's a talent shortage in the marketplace? It doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense at all at a, at a, at a simple talent, strategic talent level. So I'm I'm going to take a complete left turn here because something just popped into my mind that I have to that I have to say, which is, have you ever watched the show Dirty Jobs with Mike Rowe? Have you ever I seen that? No, I'm not sure oh, it's over God. here. Okay, well I'm going to have to get you an episode. It's really it's a it's a it's a hysterical show. It's really funny, but he goes in and he essentially looks at uh, they're usually small to medium businesses across across the U.S. that are doing the jobs that really nobody else wants to do. Right They're <laughs> they're doing plumbing, they're doing termite, uh, termite disposal, they're doing all sorts of different things. And what was what's really fascinating about what you just said to me is that I, I've watched a couple of those episodes recently. And one of the things that I keep seeing is that longevity, even if it's a even if it's a um, person that comes in and <laughs> They had an episode on squid ballers. Like they, they, they had to, they had to they literally catch squid, and then they had to rip apart the squid and sell this or this. The people that were on the line ripping apart the squid, they had invested in them to teach them uh, how to actually do this and how to get ridiculously fast at it and do it again and 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 get really dang good, right? Um, but these people have been working there for twenty-seven years, and you'd watch them. You watch them do it, and then you watch Mike come in and and try and do it, and he screws up their whole production line. Yet we we teach sales a lot of times as, or at least I, what I've seen is that production line without the investment, right? Without that time to become the greatest squid baller, you know, in in history. We and that's a lot of times we teach sales that way when it's it's the opposite, right? It's it's really. That's why hiring is so darn hard unless we're hiring people that we, you know, really want to invest in. This is a tough, tough, tough spot to hire. Sorry I took that left turn, but that just, that just popped into my head as a, as an example. And it was like, huh, like what, why do we do that with salespeople? And and you're so right. And and there's a double whammy there because like, it's a really interesting analogy. And if we go back to, and this is really this really resonates, I know, with membrane because all the things we're talking about here are are, are the human element of sales. They're, 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 they're the, the, the things that, that I'm, I'm going to argue, even in this world of AI, that still requires a human brain to do this. You've got to navigate and think about things. So you have a double whammy there. First of all, as you say, we're, we're, we're teaching and we're still teaching salespeople to be production line people, that there's, there's a process and, and that you follow that process, you're going to get your result. And in some cases, that is, there's no doubt that's true. But in the vast majority of cases, it isn't fundamentally because the process is dictated by the buyer, not by the seller. And very few buyers buy in exactly the same way. And so you need to understand the process and the places your your, your world could land in when, when it comes to navigating the journey to a sale. But actually, what you need to be able to do is handle what happens when that deviates. And it will deviate more often than not, because I don't, I've been in this game a long time 
and I'm, I'm, I struggle to think of of two sales opportunities in my decades in this game that that went through exactly the same process, and that's over decades. Uh, so the salesperson's job is to understand, yeah, there's there's a path you need to follow, mm-hmm. but chances are the most important person on on the on, the, on that critical path is the buyer is not going to want to follow that path the way you want to follow it. And unfortunately, they're the ones who decide, not you. Now, you have to kind of navigate them back in, a little bit, a little bit like herding cats, but you've got to navigate them back into that path as best you can. Or you've got to work out, well, whatever path they're going on, I've got to make sure it delivers my order when I need that order. Or if it isn't going to, some other opportunity is. And it's that's the human part of all this. And as you say, there's other functions that are completely production line, process and and, and and kind of procedurally driven and we invest heavily in the development of those and yet in this world which is probably less procedural than people would like it to be therefore demanding ever more sophisticated human skills we choose not to develop not to invest in that development and that doesn't make any that doesn't make any make any organizational sense yeah and I, i've noticed it's a it's it really is a combination like there, there's you can look at study after study there's about a 30 percent uh uptick simply from increasing, putting a, a strong sales process in place, right? Simply from having that and, and putting that in place. But it's that, that art of making that sales process of trusting your sales team enough and increasing their skills around that to actually create, to actually use the process in a way that's most effective with each individual customer. Right. Exactly. And that's why, and, and, and you have to have both of those things that are massively interconnected or you miss, unless you're selling a widget, unless you're selling, unless you have a hundred, you know, a hundred million potential clients out there and it's just about volume of doing the same thing and you have a, but any, any sort of B2B complex sales, it's the process is a baseline and it has to be a baseline, but it's how you execute within that, that, that allows a salesperson to really shine. And um, yeah. And you going on this mission relative to that, the skills and developing those in people is, is incredible. Like giving them the tools and the resources to be able to navigate that regardless of where they go. Right. Because, because we do, we, we spend a ton of time and a ton of money investing in people and we want the best in them. Uh, and to, but to get that baseline, to get that certification and that they could take anywhere is, is really huge. That's, that's a massive undertaking. And, and, and you've kind of, you've kind of nailed it, Paul, because it, it, this isn't, as I say, to in any way undermine the, the importance of a process. It's about how mm-hmm. do you react when something falls outside of that structure? And, yeah. and in our experience, that's what our customers most struggle with. They have all that at foundation but they don't have people who are able to either operate that process to a level of high performance or perhaps more importantly, how do they react to that process when it goes awry and how do they get back on track? And and that's the problem. If you make it too binary and too rigid, or sorry, if you have people who can't think outside of that process and go, wow, I've I've now, I've now veered off path. I've got to get back on path. That's it's though it's the skills you require to do that, 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 that we're focused on. And, and, and I kind of couldn't agree more that, that, that's, that's high performance, and and but but I think the key word as well is human, and and again I know that resonates with that resonates with you guys. It's it's it, there are elements to this world, you know, more so than ever before. It isn't about ramming product down somebody's throat. It's not about forcing somebody into a process. It's about corralling and managing them through a process, um, to get the result that you need, which is your order, and that requires human. That requires a human a human 
brain. Yeah, it's a human empowered. It's the human empowered system, human empowered process versus the the uh, lack of you know versus the the rote have to just do it again and again and again and again and again. And I think the you know I keep seeing a market, and we're we're gonna have to wrap up. We're we've read, but uh, I keep seeing a market that teams are investing in in three main things. Um, and that's why it's so fascinating to talk with you and hear the same, same type thing, but they're, they're investing, they, especially during now, right? During now when money's not flowing as fast as it used to invest in a talent, which is how do I, how do I, if I have the talent, how do I retain it, keep it and grow it? If I don't have the talent, how do I find the best that I can then, uh, number two is training, dive in with them empower them with the skills they need and the processes they need to execute and do that well and invest in them as people and not as automatons, right? We have plenty of AI now. We're, we're going to be able to invest in automatons all we want for a long time, but um, but invest in them as people to do the things that people can do and train them to do it really well. And then the third is the technology, which is where we we really intersect, which is how do we how do we take this and not expand a tech stack a lot bigger than it ever needs to be to actually empower, but to instead to empower human processes and to train them really well, right. To, 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 to build that together. And that's where I'm so passionate about, you know, your mission and ours and how they collide, right. Cause it truly does elevate that sales profession. Uh, so how does, how does uh, somebody find you, uh, Alan, if they, if they're interested in this, they hear this, where do they find you and how do they get in touch? Well, we we love to talk to anybody, um, and, and we really are. We love to talk to people. We 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 may end up selling to them, but we just love to talk to people. I hope what comes across is we're really passionate about learning and we're really passionate about sales. Um, you'll find me on LinkedIn, uh, uh, Alan McGuire in in, in at ESI in Dublin, Ireland. So please connect and and um, you'll find us at uh, on the web on the web at esinstitute.com. Uh, ESI stands for Entrepreneurial Sales Institute. We're now just known as ESI. Uh, you'll find us at esinstitute.com and we would love to hear from anybody who's listening out there who'd, who'd like to explore what we've discussed today or or anything else they feel is, is relevant to sales and learning. And so if you don't speak Irish, that was esinstitute.com <laughs> and Alan yeah. Mugwire. Can we put hey. some time? Can we put subtitles on Spotify, Paul? I don't know if we can. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But, oh, I forgot to ask you at the beginning. I was supposed to ask you, how's the crack? <laughs> it is very good. It's mighty, as they say over here. It's a mighty crack. Okay. And that's C-R-A-I-C, right? That is C-R-A-I-C, not... yeah. For the avoidance, okay. for the avoidance of uh, for the avoidance of any any politically incorrect, uh, incorrect <laughs> interpretations. Uh, of... I Sorry, I, I forgot to ask you at the beginning, but... Uh, no, it's been an absolute blessing to have you on, Alan. Awesome. And um, any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with? Um, no, just I think thank for, thanks a million for having me, Paul. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure as always. And, and you know, let, let's do this again sometime. You got it. Absolutely. Well, with that, everybody, we're going to close out the episode of the Art and Science of Complex Sales. Have an amazing day. Keep shining bright. And we'll talk to you soon.